If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So given our overall urge to uh, see this uh, pandemic come to an end or something close to it, but uh, I think in particular, given the surges we've seen in in some jurisdictions, including even some here in Canada, uh, there's a lot of interest in vaccine development. And where we're at, even at this point, from the discovery of this virus, mapping out its genetic code, working on a vaccine, it's all happened at remarkable speed. Now, it's crucial to ensure that we're doing all of this safely, though, as quickly as this has all been happening. And uh, the news out of the UK is is an example of that. AstraZeneca, which is working uh, with Oxford University on their vaccine, and I, I think for all intents and purposes, seem to be in the lead at this point, have announced that they are pausing their phase three vaccine trial following an investigation into a potential unwanted event a possible adverse event. Now, it's unclear exactly what that entails, and that's part of phase three trials, is looking at whether anything has come up that you didn't anticipate it, and also, given the number of people involved, whether this had anything to do with the vaccine. Because when you've got thousands of people involved in a trial, you may have some random medical events uh, happen to one of these individuals that, that would have happened anyway had nothing to do with the vaccine, potentially. That's what they want to understand here. Let me just play for you, first of all, clip number seven. Uh, Dr. Chris Whitty, who is uh, Chief Medical Officer uh, for the United Kingdom, Chief Medical Advisor uh, to the British government, saying that this is not unusual and this is why we have these phase three trials. Just a word about the Oxford vaccine, which has been in the news today. The Oxford vaccine, in many ways, is right at the front because it's been into more people than anyone else. And the trials, as you've seen reported, have been paused at the moment because of an investigation into a potential unwanted effect. That is not an unusual thing in a phase three programme. That's precisely why phase three clinical trials happen. We need to make sure with these vaccines that they work, they work well enough, and they are safe. And therefore, a pause, obviously, is not good. You'd, you'd rather not see any side effects, but inevitably you do see some. And it's sensible to look at that very set seriously and understand what's going on. So I think you should expect in some of the other trials that you will see situations where things are paused and then restarted. And of course, we need to find out whether these vaccines are safe. That is the critical importance of doing these studies and why it's wrong as many of the manufacturers have said just this week, it's wrong to just jump over those stages and approve a vaccine on hope. You have to do it on evidence. Great. And is it safe and does it work? Joining us to talk more about uh, this development and uh, where things are at on the vaccine front, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Derek Lowe, longtime drug discovery researcher, uh, writes the widely read In the Pipeline blog at sciencemag.org. Uh, Derek, great to have you back with us here today. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, well, let's start with this news about AstraZeneca and, and what you make of it. 
Yeah, well, the, the excerpt you played is correct. I mean, this sort of thing does happen in clinical trials. There's actually a separate drug safety monitoring board for every human clinical trial that is watching the data and can unblind, you know, bits of the blinded trial away from the investigators to keep an eye out for this. So it's true. This is the way the system is supposed to work. But that said, you'd rather not see any serious trial-halting adverse events either. So while it's not unusual and it's the sort of thing we're looking out for, you'd rather not have it. And at this point, it's it's there's there's a lot we don't know clearly and and the big question as to whether this is even connected to the vaccine we still don't know that um so while, right. as you say it's it's discouraging to to hear of this obviously there, there's a lot we don't know about it at this point right right we're all in the field just sitting around waiting to hear more from the trial organizers because there was a report in the new york times from, they have a source that said was very close to the situation that said that it was a, a disease called transverse myelitis. And that is a nervous system condition that can occur after various kinds of viral infections. It's sort of an autoimmune disorder where the body starts attacking the linings of the nerves. And that's a believable side effect. It's very rare, but it's serious. So if that's what's going on, we have to know more. We do indeed. Uh, what does this potentially mean for other phase three trials? Is, is it going to affect any of them? Yeah, that's a good question. I suspect that everyone is going to be really ramping up their monitoring, which is probably already pretty ramped up to start with. But it's important to remember that the Oxford vaccine, which, as you said, is kind of in the lead or very close to it, the Oxford vaccine is the only one using this particular kind of technique. They've got a chimpanzee virus that they've modified in this case to make the body express the coronavirus proteins and, and develop immunity. They're the only people doing that. So this doesn't mean that all the other vaccines are going to cause something like this. We don't know what they're going to cause. That's why we're running the trials. So I think that it's going to make everyone very cautious, but I don't think it's going to sink everything, that's for sure. Right. And yeah, it, it is interesting because, uh, you know, the, the vaccines we're more familiar with uh, tend to have more traditional uh, processes behind them. But there, there's a lot of different and kind of unique uh, approaches to developing a vaccine, uh, as you alluded to, it, it's not just the typical adenovirus or vector virus sort of vaccines that maybe we're oh, used yeah. to. There's there's RNA-based, oh, yeah. DNA-based. It's, it's quite something. We've got a lot of stuff going on. And honestly, that's one of the things that makes me hopeful is that we have so many different platforms. We have more than one kind of adenovirus vector. We have other viral vectors. Merck is investigating two more virus vectors. We've got, the, as you say, the genetic ones, the, the RNA-type vaccines. We've got proteins, subunit vaccines, which are a little more traditional. We've got virus-like particle, a lot of stuff going in. And we're going to need it because not everything works. Some of these things, I mean, we've always known, some of these things are going to go down. They're not all going to work perfectly. According to the New York Times uh, vaccine tracker, there are nine that are in phase three trials, 14 in, in phase two, and another 24 in the initial phase one uh, uh, testing phase. So that, that, that's a big number. But to have nine in phase three at this point it's is, the biggest, is quite something. It's the biggest number ever. 
we've never seen anything like this. It's, it's, I hope we never do again either, but we've never seen anything yeah. like this. So many different vaccines with so many different technologies and platforms all happening at the same time. Honestly, it's like a gigantic immunology demolition derby. I've never, ever seen anything to match it. And, and there has been concern about the rush or whether any of this might be politicized. And I mean, you know, it's it's encouraging to see AstraZeneca being very open and transparent about this, uh, because yesterday we had uh, nine pharmaceutical companies, in fact, signing on to this joint pledge that they're going to stand with science. They're going to be transparent about all of this. They're not going to to put forward a vaccine until it's been properly vetted. What did you make of that? Yeah, that was pretty strange to see, wasn't it? I, w- I was happy mm-hmm. to see it, but in a way, what you've got is a bunch of drug companies who are competing with each other, all popping up and saying, you know what, we're going to resist any attempt to make us put our products on the market too quickly. And this is uh, not the sort of thing you usually see when you consider that they're basically coming out and saying, we're going to make sure that the FDA and the government don't approve us too fast. Mostly companies want things approved, and they want them approved as soon as possible, right. and they complain that the agency is dragging its feet. But you're right. In this case, the worry is, and we just have the current U.S. administration to blame for this worry, the worry is that someone is going to want to get one out there before the election, and people might not trust it. And I see where they're coming from. Well, yeah, I, I think the the news today is is a cautionary note about all of that. Um, it, it's, yes. I mean, I don't think it was ever realistic, but what, what to to have something, and even in calendar twenty twenty. But at this point, I mean, what what to you seems like a more realistic timeline? Yeah, depends on what you're what you're taking as the deliverable, as they say. Right. If you're talking about something that gets an emergency use authorization, where Basically, the U.S. government says, you know what, it is legal for you to dispense this vaccine. That could still happen before the end of the year. But that doesn't mean that suddenly everyone gets the vaccine because companies are manufacturing these things as fast as they can. But getting it manufactured, getting it distributed, getting it to the people who need it, that's going to be a huge logistical effort. We've got to, everyone's going to be in line. And some people are going to be ahead of others. I want the first medical responders to be able to get a vaccine before I do, for example. Now, there was, of course, the the story about Russia and Russia's approval of this vaccine that's being developed there. And uh, you had a piece about this today because, you know, it seemed incredibly irresponsible of of the Russian government to do that. And then there was this data published that seemed to suggest that, well, this vaccine looks pretty good. Uh, but there's been some some concerns raised about that data. Tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah. The Russian vaccine, I mean, I said at the time, and I'm sticking with this, I think that was a really stupid publicity stunt. The data that came out looked fine, but one thing is is that it's two studies, each with 38 people. And I cannot find out if they did any more past that before the Russian government announced that this was approved. They sure hadn't done any studies to show that it was protecting people from the coronavirus or that it was safe. So it was just a a crazy thing to do. But you're right. The stuff that came out today was people started looking at those two 38-person studies, and they found that the data almost looked a little too neat. 
the when you measure antibodies and when you measure the different kind of cell responses, they have little data points on the graphs for each patient, and they seem to repeat. It looks like different groups of people show exactly the same patterns of data on different days, and that honestly shouldn't happen. There's more noise in clinical data than that, but I hate to say it, but this looks almost like a cut-and-paste job. I think there's a real concern, isn't there? I mean, uh, look, I mean, beyond this, the, the vaccine to, to target this particular virus, we've got a, leather, a lot of other vaccines that have made a, e- enormous differences when it comes to public health. Oh, the concern yeah. here about confidence in vaccine being undermined by shaky data or political timelines or you know, pharmaceutical companies looking up for their bottom line, there, there's that real risk, isn't there, of, of turning there public is. opinion even further against vaccine? There is. There are all those risks you talk about. And even if everyone is acting in the best faith possible, there's a risk on top of that. Some people may remember back in 1976, swine flu back under Gerald Ford's administration was considered to be a big worry going into the fall. So they rushed a swine flu vaccine out. And unfortunately, swine flu itself didn't turn into a big problem, but the vaccine injured a number of people. And the only way to find these kinds of injuries and to know how bad they are is to run really huge clinical trials because they're really rare. And it's it's tough. I mean, we're, we're getting 30 30 to 60,000 people in the current trials, and you hope that's enough, but what if there's something really bad that happens to one out of every 100,000? Will you see it? Maybe not. Yeah, and further to that, I mean, I'm curious, where where do you stand on on the question of human challenge trials, and and do you think, you know, Mm -hmm. the potential of these kinds of adverse effects, that, that maybe changes that conversation a little bit? You know, the challenge trials would be in theory, good for proving efficacy, whether or not the vaccine protects you from getting coronavirus. They won't be any good for the safety, though, because the only way to get the good safety numbers is to dose a gigantic number of people. And the challenge trials, we're not talking about doing them on that scale. My problem with the challenge trials is that we're still figuring out the bad things that coronavirus infection can do to you. Even if you're young, you're seeing some very odd effects of this virus and i still i thought about this a lot but i still think it's unethical to deliberately expose people to this pathogen when we don't really know all the things it could do to them and honestly i don't think it would speed things up very much because we're already testing in areas that have full-scale coronavirus infections going so i think we're going to get good data without having to resort to challenge trials We'll leave it on that note. Uh, much more is mentioned. The In the Pipeline blog is at sciencemag.org. Derek, uh, appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm much appreciated. All the best. Take care. Uh, that's Derek Lowe, uh, who uh, covers uh, drug discovery in the pharmaceutical industry, the In the Pipeline blog at uh, sciencemag.org. And, uh, yeah, there's obviously a lot to write about these days, both in terms of where things stand with all the various vaccines in development, uh, also potential treatments and therapies being developed, uh, certainly much of what the uh, the, the research arm uh, of uh, academia and the pharmaceutical industry as well is focused on these days are these very things. So that's encouraging. You know, the fact that we've got nine potential vaccines in phase three clinical trials is encouraging. I think some people are going to be feeling maybe a little more pessimistic today with this news about AstraZeneca, but 
you know, we should be careful about over-interpreting this. Uh, but we'll keep a close eye on, on what um, develops here. And uh, this is why you do the phase three trials. All right. Our number here, 403-974-8255. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.